they want to do short terms. As I was walking over here, I was actually running numbers on a potential short term. Just for that same reason, I want to have the ability to do what I need to do. I am less regulation in some sense. And then there's also... Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, it's Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? I do the intros and I do these intros these days at the cottage and uh, we've got some big news. I mean, look at what the Bank of Canada just did. They increased the rates one entire percent. We haven't had that big of an increase since 1998. It's been a while, but I will say, don't panic. Look at it as a buying opportunity, an opportunity to be very strategic. Uh, this is where you can create a lot of wealth. But again, there are going to be some strategies that work really, really well in times like these as the market is shifting. Probably there's going to be some instability for the next year and in a bit until rates come back down. But obviously with the inflation being so high, we've got to do what we got to do or they've got to do what they've got to do in order to bring that down. And it includes raising rates. But I think this is a great opportunity to find deals, to actually not have to compete with 20 other plus offers. So be strategic, understand that there are going to be some strategies that work in this market and other strategies that won't. So here's an example. I don't think flipping is going to be that great in the next little while. I don't think that buying pre-construction with the expectation that you're going to assign it prior to close or something that's not going to cash flow on close is the right strategy. So there are going to be some things you want to stay away from. However, I think there is still a good opportunity to do the burrs. I still think that the rents are going to increase dramatically as a result. I would not be surprised. I'm going to put it out there if we had you know, 20 to 30% year over year rent increases uh, in many markets with everything that's happening. There's just going to be less available. And uh, this is where you can be strategic. So here's an example of some of the stuff that I'm doing. I'm actually working on a midterm strategy. So if I'm converting, for example, a house to two, three, four units, likely going to be four units these days, I'm going to take the ones that are subject to rent control for Ontario, and I'm going to put those as the midterm rental opportunities. I'm going to put those, whether it's my website that I'm creating or on Airbnb, but I'm going to furnish them and I'm going to put those on the midterm market. Not short term. I mean, obviously short term is a different story. Not that I'm opposed to it, but I also want to focus on, I think, the next up and coming strategy. And then the, the units that are not subject to rent control that we can increase year over year because they're new in Ontario. This is Ontario specific. So anything that's built after 2018, November specifically, those are not subject to rent control. So I would put longer term tenants in those. So that's going to be my strategy. It is about pivoting. I still think that commercial conversions to residential is going to be great and exit with the CMHC using the new MLI program and so much more. So if you guys are interested in any of that stuff, send me a message. I can give you some more insights on that, but it is about pivoting. It is about being strategic. Things that worked in the past don't work today. And you want to ensure that this is where you can't just buy something and expect it to go up anymore to the same extent. So you've got to look at cash flow. You've got to look at exit. You've got to have plan A and plan B. But I would say don't panic. This is a great opportunity for many savvy investors to be able to maneuver and create some really good long-lasting wealth because this is a long-term strategy. And before we do bring in and introduce our guests, Dahlia, I'd like to hear from you what is the most important things that we need to know this week. What is your tip this week, Dahlia? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. And on today's episode, I would like to share with you the top three financing questions we're receiving from investors right now. Question number one is, my variable rate mortgage payment has increased since the rise of Prime, and that impacted my cash flow. What solutions do you recommend to help me improve my cash flow and reduce the hit? Currently, locking into a fixed rate to hedge is not the way to go, especially on five-year fixed rates, because the differential between variable and fixed rates on a five-year term is about 200 points. That is roughly 2%. So by locking in, you are forcing an increase rather than saving. The way to go is to consider debt restructuring solutions. 
By debt restructuring, I am referring to strategies such as loan reamortization, swapping more expensive debts with cheaper debts, for example, unsecured lines of credit funds with secured funds, converting a principal and interest payment mortgage to an interest-only loan, or capping the increase on your variable rate by switching to a capped variable product where more goes towards interest versus principal as the rates rise. One or more of these strategies will help you reduce the monthly payment despite the higher interest rates. Question number two, property values are shifting in some markets. What should I plan for as an investor? Well, shifting values present both an opportunity and risk to investors. On the opportunity front, you are able to pick up better deals, negotiate better deals as well, due to the reduction in prices. If you want to position yourself to tap into the future opportunities the market will present, set up or increase secured line of credits where possible on existing properties as you will be able to use these funds for down payment and you will be able to jump on opportunities much faster. While the values have declined a little bit, there's still equity in the properties and you should consider doing this sooner than later because the qualification is getting tighter. On the risk front, if you are in the midst of finishing a renovation on a property that you are looking to refinance in the next few months, I suggest that you do not wait until you are done the project to have a conversation about refinancing. It is best to have a conversation sooner than later with your mortgage advisor to discuss how your exit may have been impacted due to lower valuations as well as tighter mortgage qualifications and to come up with a plan to address any shortage in funds. Number two, if you are buying a property, please include your financing or appraisal condition. Gone are the days of going firm with the market rising on a week over week basis from the time an investor had placed an offer. Lenders lend on the lower of two things, the appraised value and the purchase price. So if you're buying a property um, above what it's worth, you will have to cover the difference from your own pocket. Question number three, my renewal is coming up. Should I go with a fixed or a variable rate? The best thing to do when you have a renewal is not to wait to the last minute. Because if you do, you will be uh, forced to make a decision that may not be to your best interest and the lender is going to follow up with you and they will end up likely putting the loan on an open rate. So it's always best to plan for a renewal at least six months ahead and not to auto sign the renewal sheet you are receiving from the lender, but rather to speak with your mortgage advisor for guidance on what is best to do, given where your finances are currently and where your needs are, as well as what your future plans look like. To support you during these changing markets with strategies, tips, and tools, and to help you not just adapt but thrive, check out our new page for frequent updates at streetwisemortgages.com forward slash adapt dash thrive. If you have a pressing question right now or need guidance to navigate, navigate the new interest rate environment, email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Awesome. That was great. Thank you so much, guys. I hope that you've got all of your finances in order. If not, reach out to Streetwise and their team and they can help you maneuver through these challenging times of, in my opinion, still some great opportunity. So today we are gonna be speaking with Neil and Chandler who are also real estate investors, real estate agents, and have their own podcast as well called Master Keys Podcast. They're out in Halifax, so we talk a lot about different things this week, but they're very, very well experienced. I mean, Neil owns and operates roughly 100 units, has land developments, and much more. You know, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes so you guys can see their bios. And Chandler 
again, very, very successful, has transacted over 50 million in real estate in 2022 alone, owns and operates over 60 plus units, also has a focus on development, new developments, over 100 units currently approved for development starting this year and another 200 in the pipeline and so much more. So we talk about Halifax, we talk about the market out there and just a lot of, you know, important information around real estate investing. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget if you haven't yet, please leave a rating and review. It is so greatly appreciated. Thanks very much, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Neil and Chandler, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm excited. Right before we, we pressed record, I was just saying, I don't think we've done too much with discussions about Halifax or Eastern Canada. And I am excited to have you on. Before we get into that, though, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and how you got started in real estate. Neil, do you want to start? Okay. Yeah. I, so I'm a real estate agent at Remax here in Halifax. I started technically as an agent about three, four years ago now. I got into real estate maybe five, six years ago. I got started because I was in actually engineering university and wasn't necessarily loving the work and wanted to look for some alternative options for making income. So I got into flipping foreclosed homes. So that was how I kind of got the ball rolling and that converted into buying multi-units and that grew and fortunately Halifax took off at the same time. I was able to really leverage that forward to grow it quite a bit. Okay, awesome. Chandler, what about you? Yeah, I always just wanted to own or occupy and or have a small set of rental properties, regardless of what I was going to do for my nine to five or what have you. And then I just decided to get licensed because I just kept thinking about real estate nonstop. So the two things happened simultaneously. I was buying small scale rental properties while I was getting a license. I've been doing that for 13 years now on the sales side and on the investing side and graduated from duplexes and single family homes up to six units and 12 units. And now I'm kind of pivoting into larger scale development. So a bunch of projects, anywhere from 40 to, to 60 doors, new construction and started connecting with Neil. He started working with us in our, in our brokerage. And so now we're looking at a bunch of different projects. Very cool. It's, it's interesting to see the transition through the years of, of the types of projects that people do, the kinds of strategies that they go on to. And Chandler, similar to you, I started doing some development stuff as well. And when prior to that, it was the birth strategy. And, and prior to that, it was the, the buy and hold. But it's, it is interesting to see the transition. Somebody that wants to get into developments, what do you think is like some key insights that you can share with them before they do make the leap? Yeah, you go ahead, Neil. You take that one. Yeah, I guess it depends on scale and some aspects. But you say developments, you're obviously saying building more so like brand new versus adding units. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I would say like the number one thing I'm seeing, because I'm in that transition as well, where I was basically burying small scale multi-units and now I'm trying to get into new construction. The biggest thing I'm seeing is you got to make sure you have more cash than you think you're going to need. Financing, although it's available and there's lots of options and lots of them will claim to give you great offers with lower amounts of cash requirement for construction. There's always going to be changes, time overruns, and things you don't expect that are going to cause that number to inflate. So I think like even if your numbers say you need, let's say 200 grand, probably have 300. Like you need to have that buffer room. That's going to be the biggest thing to, to kind of keep it moving. Yeah. And your timelines are different. Like we always talk to people about exit strategy and even when you're doing new construction, the idea is to keep that ball rolling. You're going to need a big influx of cash, but we all hope that when we finish the project, we'll get access to that cash on the back end somehow. So with new construction, it's no different. Just the initial outlay and the payback are, are much longer or, or bigger. So money's everything, man. It doesn't matter how big of a small or small of a deal you're doing. It's getting the, the money and then figuring how to get your money back out. So like Neil alluded to, your timelines are different. Your budgets, if they go over, it's not going over 10 or 20K. It's going over three to 700,000. Right? Like these are big change orders that could happen depending on the, on the scale of the project. And then there's also just the fact that you're um, not going to have that interest rate necessarily locked in until the end of construction. Mm -hmm. And right now, if you look at what the situation we're at in the world and, and the changing interest rates, that's a pretty precarious position to be in that you may not have your final interest rate locked in until 24 months from now. And who knows what that's going to look like. Yeah, so percentage points in the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to build in those buffers and, but really you got to find the cash. You got to find the cash. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, great tips. And definitely cash is important. And there's many ways that you can do it, right? It doesn't have to be your cash. It could be bringing in other investors for an equity piece in return for a certain amount of cash. And there's many ways that you can slice and dice it. That is pretty cool. And I mean, especially with the way that the market has been going in the last couple years, it's important to look outside the box, I think, or in a new sandbox with some of the strategies that you might be doing moving forward with real estate investing and, and pivoting sometimes is also important. Like, I mean, obviously with, with Ontario, we've, you've seen the market 30, 40% a year over the last couple of years. I mean, it's just been nuts. Like what's, what's been happening in Halifax? Not dissimilar. Last couple of years, we've been easily into that double digit appreciation every year in some parts of the province, you know, 30% is, is not unrealistic and that's for just the one last calendar year it's been strong here since 2019 really yeah yeah i I got licensed 2018 it was fairly normal and then almost immediately after getting my license it started to take off and i think yeah last year was roughly 26 percent year over year year before that was probably around 17 18 percent i believe it was um so we're seeing that a similar style not quite uh, ontario levels but like you're saying even some of the outside i'll say towns that surround cities some of them have had that that massive growth because they were so 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 cheap but it feels like that's where we're going and it seems to be just maintaining. It seems like every time like this couldn't yeah. get any stronger, it gets a little stronger. Yeah, I mean, you sort of alluded to the fact that it's been like that for a while in Toronto. This is new to us here. And I don't mean just new to our generation. I mean new, period. There hasn't been this sort of boom in real estate in Nova Scotia, Halifax specifically. So it's, it's new territory. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, even just in the last year, I've had many discussions about people buying in New Brunswick and in different areas that like they might have not looked at before going back to see what's what's available in Alberta. And because the Toronto, the GTA and in the Ontario market has just gone crazy that the cash flow on some of the strategies are no longer there. So how's the cash flow in Halifax? What do you need to do to get it? Is it still available on buy and hold? Do you need to convert? Do you need to have multifamily? What, like, what does that look like? Yeah, you want to take this, Neil? Sure, yeah. I'll give my, my take on the cash flow aspect. So this is something that we're facing a lot of right now is things are selling at, caps have kind of gone out the window and they're selling below cash flow. And the idea is that the rents are typically are often below market, honestly, because the rents have grown so fast. That it's like, yeah, I rented this last year at 1600 but now it's probably worth 1950 So we're going to rent it at where it should, or sell it at a price where it should be cash flowing if it was rented for 1950 so in your buy position, you're likely not cash flowing and you're supposed to go in there and then increase that rent, which is becoming a little more difficult with rent controls and some of the issues that we're facing in the city. Uh, so yeah, and, and on the larger scale buildings, you've seen things sell at three caps. Yeah, I mean, it used to be the case here where you could drive 20 minutes in any direction and go from a five and a quarter cap to a 10 cap. Exactly. And we would have clients say, well, if you want cash flow, you're going out here to your 10 cap areas. It's a different clientele base. It's a bit more management heavy, but there you can actually make money in your more established areas. You're not going to cash flow that well, because back in the day, we used to think a five and a quarter cap was low and saying in those areas, you're going to get your appreciation. And for Neil and I both, we started our investments kind of in those peripheral areas where we would initially get a better cap, but more importantly for us, you could get that low price per door and then you could raise the rents. I understand that relative to other parts of the country, there is still a good opportunity to just buy turnkey products here and make a little bit of money, assuming you have a sizable down payment. But most people here locally in the market are effectively doing the Burr model on multi-unit properties. Yeah, I was say too, also on a small scale, like you're saying, where can you achieve that? I think on a small scale, the best way of doing it is getting houses and cutting them up into units. That's where I'm seeing people get their cash flows. They're buying a house for 500 grand, turning it into a two or a three unit, and then yeah. they're able to cash flow. Anything that's already been converted or with a purpose built on the buy, the likelihood of cash flowing I find right now is, is slim. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of taken all of the uh, squeeze of it. There's been a lot of influx of new investors and they'll kind of have the same idea. So as a seller, you kind of, you can charge as if the work's been done even without having done the work. So that is really shrinking. It's shrinking the lift on places. It's certainly shrinking the cash flow. Are you, are you still seeing the same demand? Like, I mean, at the time we're recording this early, early spring, but are you still seeing the same demand versus even six months ago? For purchasing or rental or you mean purchasing wise? Yeah. Just, I mean, are are we, are you guys seeing like 20 offers? Are you seeing five offers for every property? Are you seeing them come off the market in a matter of a few days or like, 
Yeah, right. All of the above. Yeah, yeah. It's if anything, there was a couple little buying windows last year in hindsight, right? When you're in the moment, you're too close to it. You're like, okay, what's going on in this little market going off? Yeah. The norm right now is say you list a property on Tuesday, you have showings Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the offers are due Sunday or Monday. That is the norm. And certainly within Halifax, I would say 95% of homes sell in that initial window. And they've held off the offers so that on the offer date, they have many bids come in. More likely to be the 20 than to be the five, to, to be honest with you. And 50 plus showings on yeah. average, almost always 10 plus offers. If it's priced accordingly, right? You're seeing some people now price like crazy, but anything that's priced reasonable, it's 15, 20 offers for sure. If yeah. it's underpriced a little bit, 40 offers. And the industry has leaned into that. So people are intentionally pricing properties low in order to get that. Mm -hmm. But it, if anything, I would say the first three months of this year have been stronger than even 100%. the strongest it continues time of last to feel stronger. Yeah. yeah. We're seeing in the stats too. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say nobody has a crystal ball, right? But like with the rates increasing, like what, what are some of the thoughts you might have on 2022, 2023 with saying that nobody knows for sure, even the best of us and economists and stuff like that along the way? I think I was seeing rates increase. I think price growth is going to slow a little bit because my thing is it's not just rates increasing. It's also inflation across the board. So people's general spending ability is going to reduce all like vehicles are up, gas is up, groceries are up. So people's spending power will go down, but I think the demand will remain. Canada's in the, in the business of people and immigrating. And so as they continue to push the immigration here, it's going to like create that demand that needs to be there, but there's going to be a sustainable limit that it's going to reach and it's not going to be able to keep going. Right. It, it, it almost only so many years, 30% year over year you can do, and then it becomes unsustainable. Yeah. Also here, I feel we, we know what we are. Like this is a great city. It is a big kind of center for the public sector, for education, for health, for, for all these things, shipping, fisheries, the military. However, a big part of our appeal is that we are relatively more affordable than the rest of the country in terms of major cities. And the idea, the pitch, if you will, is that you get a better quality of life here for less money. That's only going to be true until the, the pricing becomes such that you can start substituting back in other areas of the country. So there's a natural cap that we're going to rub up against as we rival Montreal, Ottawa, peripheral, Ontario, or Toronto type pricing. But certainly there's a backlog of demand that, I don't know what you, Neil, but I, I still see another five to 10% lift here in the market before we start leveling off. hundred percent. I would, I would completely agree with that. The, the demand, again, if a house is getting 30, 40 offers, then obviously there's still a huge number of people that need to buy or want to buy. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, investor, we want to let you know our partners at Calvert Home Mortgage are ready to finance your next Burr or Flip project. Several students in my coaching program have had an exceptional experience borrowing from Calvert. Benefits include as little as 20000 down, no appraisals needed in most instances, quick funding, and they lend the assignment fee for wholesale deals as well. Right now, we're offering Calvert Home Mortgage's free Flip Burr Analyzer tool to run your numbers on deals. It's in our podcast description below, and terms and conditions do apply. Visit chmic.ca to learn more and follow them on Instagram at Calvert Home Mortgage underscore. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. What about just even from a rental standpoint? I mean, I know we were talking about there's just a lot of demand, but from a, a purchasing standpoint and also investors coming into the market and there's, in my opinion, more investors than there ever was, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, the last like five years and maybe even prior. But what about from a rental demand standpoint, like what kind of vacancy rates are we looking at? Like, what are we, I know you talked about rent control. Usually that means that there's probably some low vacancy, but I could be wrong. So what are you, what are you guys seeing? 1%. On paper, 1%. In real fact, like negative two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1% is, is because as a building gets built, there's a short period of vacancy before it rapidly fills up. And anyone who's a landlord knows that there's that occasional turnover vacancy, or there's people out there who are in the process of completely redoing a building and sitting in vacant. So technically I've got five units sitting vacant right now, contributing to the vacancy rate, yeah. um, but they're only vacant because I'm, I'm renovating. So about 1% is what the last... I think CMHC came out at that for, for Halifax proper. I, I think, and I think like, we're going to like, like that moving forward. I think that's going to sustain again. 
it's just the only thing that I always am a little concerned about is just price points. Like, again, we're hitting that ceiling where it's like, okay, two bedrooms, $2,200. There's only so many people that can go further with that. It, 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 I think that's also going to lose its growth. And there's rent controls in place. So a lot of units are full. A lot of people are now making, understanding that they can't be moving around all the time, right? Like, if I get at least $1,600, i am probably not going to get up and leave that because I'll never find it again. Yeah, this used to be a real turnover town because you've got students and you've got military postings and all these things. So people would move once they got a better opportunity or they move neighborhoods or what have you. And that's not the case anymore. People are kind of, you know, buckling down. If they've got a good unit, they're, they're going to try to hold on to it. But our rents have always been high. Compared to household income and compared to other markets across country and how expensive our real estate is, our rents have always been high. I think sometimes when you have the rent control and the government control, it makes it, in my opinion, worse <laughs> for the tenant because mm -hmm. the Reach market seem to be going, going up so much higher than their measly 1.2% or whatever it is per year. That's insignificant in the grand scheme of things in comparison to inflation, in comparison to market rent increases. What about other types of rental strategies? I know you talked about student rentals, but are you seeing more people looking at like a short-term option, mid-term option, just to have a little bit more control and, and less government authority on, on what we do as landlords? Big time. I would say I see a lot of my clients considering short-term rentals, especially because they have just like one, like they have a, a low count, like the low unit count. They want to do short terms. As I was walking over here, I was actually running numbers on a potential short-term just for that same reason. I want to have the ability to do what I need to do and less regulation in some sense. And then there's also, I think also here, we have a shortage of hotels and options on that front, especially surrounding in the surrounding city. And so there's, I see a lot of my clients moving towards that. Yeah, we've been behind on a lot of planning fronts because the history of Halifax is that it used to be almost like a series of smaller towns that were then amalgamated, I suppose not dissimilar to uh, the, the GTA, but our zoning was really quirky so that you would have a very difficult time doing any sort of rental in certain neighborhoods. And we're talking, historically speaking, you'd go a generation with a, any rental stock being added to a given neighborhood. And it's only now with some changes to our municipal planning that they're, they're opening up access to more units. But as we all know, it's gonna, it's gonna take a long time to, to bring those units to market. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. As, as they realize that they have to do something and we are probably their best hope rather than trying to themselves to build these purpose-built units. And I, I don't know, like sometimes I, I hear the prices that they're paying for these things. I'm like, this is insane, <laughs> but it's, it's probably the best option. I don't know. This is just my own opinion to just like alleviate some of the red tape for investors. If they want to build a basement unit, a coach house, be able to do some different stuff with the rental piece, it'll likely incentivize more people to actually do it. Housing. Yeah. And that's starting to come, but as always, it takes a long, long time for the legislation part of it to pass. And then for that to actually roll out and create real units. But it's now going to be the case that almost any home you can put a secondary suite in for the longest time, that was not the case. And why would you not want invisible density? If someone wants to add a basement unit. Why couldn't they? Obviously, that has led to a lot of short-term rentals, and now there's some pushback against that from municipal people and from neighbors saying, oh my gosh, 40% of my neighbor neighborhood is, is Airbnbs. So the question now is, how are they going to crack down on that? And then what, what is that going to mean? And, and so on. So we're very much in a transition as a city because we've grown so much so quickly, and we didn't have a lot of the infrastructure, both physical nor kind of political planning infrastructure in place to handle this growth. Hmm. What do you think, I mean, we talked about Airbnb and, and a few different things, but what do you think is the best option for an investor, let's just say an investor from a different province to buy something into Halifax and in, in the strategies? So maybe what would, what would you suggest to them that they look for if they wanted the best ROI? I feel like we have a different answer on this. Oh, well, I was going to think of my answer while you... Okay, I, I give mine because I have, I have a fair number of clients that have come from Toronto basically and are buying here now. And honestly, I've got a lot of them doing the Burr model on small multis. Uh, I'm starting to transition that to new construction, but there's still options out there on the small multi side that I think you can buy, pay a GC to go and reno, get your lift, walk out with a takeout and cash flow. And so that's where I've been steering most of them. I don't usually get into like mm, cutting, cutting up houses or developing houses because it's a little bit more intensive and you want to be here. And our prices, I think, are just getting to that point sometimes where it makes sense to do new construction, but it's also can be a little bit much to handle from afar. 
So I've been, I've been trying to steer them towards like that six to 12 unit size building and helping them kind of get the numbers in place and getting a GC to run them. And then they're usually able to stop by every quarter and just check in on things and, and kind of get those updates. Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends on the buyer too, right? But if that's within someone's means, you really notice a big economy of scale as you go up in, in unit counts here. I'm sure that's the same everywhere, but it's really pronounced here. Um, the challenge with a lot of the folks who are, they, that come here, it, they're doing it because they haven't been able to do it in other parts of the country. And that that's great. It, it means here's an opportunity for them, but it also means they sometimes don't have a lot of experience. And they maybe have wanted to buy a duplex or a triplex or a six unit in the Toronto area, but they just can't afford it. So they come over here and we're having to catch them up on things as simple as property management. And the reality that it's going to be expensive to have that property managed by someone here. And, and what is their plan for that? So in some cases, small scale, single family homes have been a good fit for people looking to get a piece of the property ladder because increasingly it's, it's a national economy. It's, it's a world economy. You're, you're very fluid with your money in one province to another now. So just getting a piece of real estate here as a single family home to be really easy to manage can be quite lucrative. My sister's based in Toronto and then she just didn't have an opportunity to buy anything there. And about two years ago, I sort of pointed to a little geographic area of our city and said, what we should do is buy up anything that comes up in this area under 250,000. And so we managed to buy three single family homes, but had to pay 310 for the last one, but because things just start to rocket up. But those are individual single family homes in gentrifying areas where the tenants manage the whole building because they're single family, they, they, they nest there for lack of a better term. They mow the lawn, they take care of general maintenance. And that's been really manageable for her because she doesn't have to have a property manager. Yeah. I mean, property management, I don't know if it's different over there, but you're looking at seven to 8% a month on gross rents plus your yard care or whatever. Like, is it, is it similar over in Halifax? Or are you looking, cause you said it's expensive. So I'm just trying to see what expensive is. Well, on, if, if you have enough units and a, and a bigger building, you can hammer someone down to like 3%, yeah. right? But on, on like a one-off single family home or duplex, it's going to be hard to drag someone there like yeah. much less than 10%. Yeah, right? eight yeah. to 10% is more what I see plus your half month's rent for a lease up. Yeah, yeah. So as someone who's remote, if, if someone's looking at cash flow, that's a big hit. Now, if someone's less concerned about cash flow and is just trying to benefit from the appreciation, then they care less about that. But that is a, a, a thing to address for some of these investors who are coming here. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Are you a real estate investor or entrepreneur looking to get out there and network with some awesome people? Then the Have Your Cake and Eat It Too is a retreat you won't want to miss. Treat yourself to a three-day retreat focused on your health, wealth, and time for yourself on the site of the new luxury Inspire Beach Resort. This retreat will include live bands, great speakers, yummy food, delicious drinks, fun activities, and lots of time for networking. For more information and to get your ticket, visit www.saralarby.com. And now back to the show. Yeah. I mean, for some people that they want to be more hands-off, that's ideal, but you're also, like you said, that could be your cash flow and then some. And could you just have really good feet on the street, a good handyman, a good plumber? I mean, usually it's something related to plumbing because even the properties that are a lot closer, like I don't physically go to them. Like maybe like twice a year, I'll do those semi-annual inspections. You can really send somebody for that if you wanted to, but the, the stuff and the problems that's going to happen, you can probably find somebody trustworthy out there and just hire them on an as needed basis type of thing. Yeah. I mean, clients always try to get us to property management. And I'm like, Listen, all I'm going to do is I'm going to call this plumber. The tenant's going to call me. I'm going to call the plumber. You're going to get the bill. So maybe you just want me to give you the plumber's number. Right. Yeah. Right. I think similar to how you said like our city hasn't built the infrastructure and doesn't have like the political set, set up to handle this. I think we also don't have a lot of the like, there's a bunch of property management companies to choose from. Here's a bunch of whatever to choose from maintenance people. Trades people in general are yeah. premium right now. So we're like, I think a lot of that's being grown out and kind of building out right now and seeing a lot of new businesses coming into play. But that's the other thing. I feel like options have been limited for somebody who comes here. Like, here's our three main companies that handle them all. 
the yeah. rest are kind of like, mm, I don't know. Same is true for short-term rentals. I mean, a couple of people were savvy and got on that early, but it's not like other markets where there, there's hundreds of short-term rental companies, I'm sure, in Toronto, and it's not the case here. Yeah, I mean, there are and there aren't. Like, I mean, there's definitely more regular property managers, but it's, it is interesting. I mean, I, I feel like that's still a little bit of an untapped market getting in front of the right crowds, but. Mm. So obviously Halifax has been your, your market for so long. Like other than Halifax, like, are, are you guys looking at anything else? Are you looking at other parts of the province at all? I, I, so I can speak for mine. I looked outside of the province. I spent some time in New Brunswick. Obviously their cost, I guess we'll say per door is quite attractive. But again, their rents are a little bit lower and they have some higher expenses like taxes and things like that, that kind of impact, I think, the ability to make money there. On the flip side, I've also spent time in the States. I went to North Carolina. That was kind of after spending a lot of time researching all of them. I ended up in North Carolina looking at some buildings and that really interested me. But the States kind of concerned me. They, they run a higher vacancy, 5 to 7%, and it's a very competitive market. I think there's a lot of big players there. Like if a city needs a thousand units in 12 to 18 months, like that's fulfilled. Like they put the permitting through fast. They have a ton of labor. They can put them up for cheap, like a lot of those things. And so it was a little nerve wracking going into the small time investor to do that. But that's something that I really have my eye on as the States because of course their tax rules are a little bit more beneficial and uh, it seems like there's an opportunity there to really grow at an expedited pace. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I stick here in the province and even then I'm reluctant to go to markets that I don't know really well, but a lot of what's interesting going on with our city right now, you have to sort of understand the recent history of our province and even the nuanced makeup of, of Halifax. But for the longest time, you know, there was Halifax and everywhere else in the province was kind of dying, literally and figuratively, like aging populations elsewhere in the province. All of the young human capital was either going out of province or was kind of migrating down into Halifax. So there was one place to invest with confidence in the province and that was right in Halifax. As prices have risen, you've seen these peripheral towns start to get a revival because young people working remotely, trying to get better bang for the buck, or just looking for a different style of of living have Mm -hmm. gone back to some of these Nova Scotia towns. So these are places like Truro, Bridgewater, Kentville, which may not mean anything to, to people who aren't familiar with Nova Scotia, but these were townships that were once thriving and have gone through a, a long extended downturn in terms of population. Within and, an hour of HRM. Yeah, all within an hour of Halifax. And people are looking at that as the next frontier. As, as people move there and migrate there, they're going to need housing. There's already real housing shortages in those area areas. And some of them have the highest rental population per capita of anywhere in the country. Like there are towns where over 50% of the people are renters and they're looking for new stock. And there's been a big movement of, of money and interest towards those areas. So I'm looking at an area called the South Shore, which is a really nice kind of coastal part of, of the province. It was once thought of as just where people go to retire. And that's somewhat true. They do have an, an older population, but there's again, this revival, it's a great place to live. And a lot of the areas in the South Shore are an hour to downtown. Nice, nice. I mean, it sounds like there's opportunity in many different provinces, including where you are investing. And it sounds like there's still opportunity in Halifax itself, even though the prices have gone up. So if somebody does want to reach out, whether they're in Halifax or they're further away, maybe a different province, what would the process look like for that? Like, how would you walk them through remotely and and purchase a house with them? Well, I think first is just familiarizing them with the, the geography of the province and Obviously, Halifax gets the headlines, but to some degree, when, when people show up and they're like, hey, this is what we want, we're here, we're looking for Halifax, we want cash flow, we want appreciation, we want to spend under this, and blah, blah, <laughs> But yeah, you should have come out about three or four years ago. Like, the, <laughs> the secret's out a bit, but now there's all this next kind of range of opportunities, so we familiarize them with that and what each one, one looks like. Yeah, usually when I have my clients come in, like, again, everyone wants to come and have 50 showings. Like, I want to be booked with showings for the next four days. Just like it is in Ontario, there isn't that many available properties to look at on or off market. But usually we'll have the call, the conversations before they come. When they arrive here, then I would usually spend a day, a full day driving. It doesn't take much because the city's not huge, but we'll do the entire city. So you can get a gauge of all the neighborhoods, kind of get an idea about, okay, there's a new building going there. There's a new building going here. This is what this looked like last year. And I can usually also give them 
and you will be able to as well. Her door values what things are selling for, what things are coming back for on appraisals, uh, give them rent costs, and also give them a map, maybe outlining some of those things, really so they can start to get a gauge of what they're looking at and start making sound investments. So it's not just me saying, this is a great buy. It's them really knowing, okay, I remember being there, I remember what the feel was for that neighborhood. I can see that even though it doesn't necessarily look the greatest today, there's a brand new building going, a brand new building, a brand new street. And so kind of get that gauge and then see as much as we can. Sometimes there's a deal to be had when they're here. If not, then we can kind of just work remotely, do FaceTime showings and that kind of thing uh, to, yeah. to make a decision. And then they start naturally comparing it to what they're used to, right? Yeah. So if someone's from one area and then you take them to one province and then you show them an area in health access, oh, this is very similar to our East End, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they make those comparisons, which even if we don't necessarily know the reference, it helps them say, okay, this is the area that I think we want to invest in. So you're, you're talking about them coming to you first for a tour. Like, is, it, is, it, is there an option if I'm like, you know what, I don't need to visit it, but I need to have a team that I trust that can give me the, the truth on whether to buy this or not to buy this without just having a realtor that's just out there to just make a deal happen, right? But that ongoing relationship where you're investing in multiple properties down the road, but let's just say I don't want to go or I can't go or I don't know, whatever the reason is to Halifax, can you still do this all remotely? 100%. You, can, you yeah. can do the whole thing remotely. There's absolutely no requirement to be here. I think in today's day and age where it's so easy to hop on a flight, it's two hours, you're here. Mm -hmm. Even if you come for a day, like you could get a flight here in the morning and leave in the it's evening. It's if you're in, in Ontario. If you're in Vancouver, it's a little further. <laughs> yes, if you're exactly. If you're coming from BC, it might be a bit, bit bigger. It's a pretty big jet setter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that would be my recommendation. But yeah, it could totally be done. Like I said, there's maps that we can kind of go over that would show all the different rent values we can get an idea and like, I mean, today there's street view and all those things. I'm just a big one saying it's important of just getting your feet on the ground and getting a feel for, for areas. Well, it's all comes down to it'd be the same if we say, hey, listen, this is exactly what we're looking for. And the more clarity that the buyer has in what their investment model is and what their strategies are short-term and long-term, the more we can point to specific areas. If someone says we want to park money. We do not care about cash flow. We just want appreciation. That's a very different neighborhood than someone saying, I want to be 10 years ahead of everyone else. Uh, and I, I'm first and foremost concerned with keeping my price per door down and cash flow high. Well, that's a totally different area. So just working through that conversation and kind of qualifying the buyer in advance, that can be done remotely. And then if you have someone fantastic like us to work with who, who has an understanding of the market, they'll be able to speak to those things and, and guide the person where, where they want to be. I want to add one last thing to make this long drawn answer. The other thing I think that sometimes people feel a little bit of false security when it's like, well, the appraisal came back great. But when you start getting into multi-unit properties, if your cash flow shows well, an appraisal can be juiced up pretty heavily, but that's not necessarily always a true indication of what that neighborhood's like. Mm -hmm. And there's also the idea that right now we might have a rental pinch and so people are getting crazy rents or able to kind of put some stuff together, but it doesn't really indicate that that's the true rent that neighborhood would be getting in a couple of years from now. So that's why, again, I'm so big on coming out. I, I've saved a few clients that have Oh, I had this place under contract. I'm like, I would never buy there for that amount of money. Like that's out of this world. You can buy it in a way better neighborhood. Um, but they just like, well, the appraisal came back amazing. I'm like, well, no, that, that's not everything. Well, here's a little example. I mean, a lot of local investors here used to love private or B money from Ontario because they didn't know where 95% of these properties were. So you could get a juiced up appraisal and that valuation could make sense on an underwriter's desk in Ontario, but to locals you're like, that's not worth that. So, but this is the, this is local knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. That's not, that's in every market. Well, I think it just goes to show how it's, it's going to be important to have feet on the street of people that you trust that will actually tell yeah. you like it is versus just trying to make a deal happen. And once you have somebody like that, then it actually will make a, a whole different experience level and, and it'll be, it's night and day. I mean, if you get, if you get a realtor that's just thinking quick deal and this and that and like that's short-term thinking and they buy something, at some point they'll realize what they bought. You yeah. know, when yeah. they, they look and, and see and compare and they'll realize that they overpaid. So I think it's I think it's important to just have, even if you don't know a certain market, whether it's Halifax or whether it's BC somewhere, a Kelowna or wherever it is, you need to have local, you know, experts that are going to be able to like, you know, guide you and look at it as a long-term relationship of not just the one deal and done. 
Yeah, and I've yeah. always been a proponent. I, I think that investment in multi-unit property should have a separate license from normal residential sales. That's my personal yeah. opinion. And someone could be a fantastic high volume realtor, but if they don't operate in the space of multi-unit investment properties, especially there's still an old school attitude here that it's very clicky. A lot of these things trade off market. So these same people seem to do the vast majority of the volume and have access to properties off market here. So you need someone that's not only experienced and knowledgeable both the neighborhoods, but specific to investment multi-unit properties. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it's just like realtors are not all created equal. Mortgage brokers are not all created equal. Financial advisors, and you know, I mean, that's just everywhere, right? So you really have to focus on the ones that focus on the investors. Yeah. Neil, have you ever bought, bought a multi-unit property on the uh, MLS? Personally? No, no, I have not. I have not either. Maybe, maybe like a small scale one I bought, but like true multi-unit six or above, never have purchased one on the MLS system. So that just speaks to the fact that it's a, a different different sort of industry out here in itself. I mean, I think it's very similar to even many parts of Canada because if you've got something on MLS, you likely likely it's not going to cash flow and people have shopped it around to their own clients behind the scenes before it even hits the mls right so who are especially those, right now yeah exactly so who are those realtors that are providing some off-market opportunities it does happen like i want to say like 80 percent of multifamily, i think happens off the mls probably still through realtors many of them but it is shopping it around to clients they know are going to close and then likely once it hits the mls they might have like I don't know, who knows, dozens of investors probably looked at it and said, we're not interested. Having said that, I, sometimes I see it go the opposite though. I've seen people like, oh, it's off market, it's worth this much. Mm. And everyone's all juiced up because I got an off market deal, it's got to be a great deal. <laughs> and it's not. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's not. Then they take it to market because nobody gave a bid and then just it's on market. Well, there's also been a massive influx of new agents and everyone's got contacts and occasionally something comes on the MLS that I'm like, oh my yeah, I can't believe that hit the MLS, right? <laughs> but it's because someone knows someone who's like, hey, I've got a, a 24 unit building in this great location. And what's it worth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they just throw it out there to the market. So there, there's, yeah, there's increasingly, exceptions. yeah, those are, are moving online. But Awesome. Yeah. All right. So the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. There's going to be five questions that every guest gets. You're going to give us the first answer in like 10 seconds or less that comes to oh mind. God. You guys can both answer. Are you ready to play? Yeah. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right. Question, okay. <laughs> question number one. What is your favorite real estate investing book? Oh gosh. Uh, I would say something like Atomic Habits, which has nothing to do specific to real estate investing, but it's just a mindset thing. I can't yeah. remember the name of Manny Koshman's book, but I read that one and that was great. Sorry, what? Manny Koshman. I don't know if you've seen him online. He had a book and I read that and I enjoyed that. It was, it was a good basic entry book. If you're into sales, if there are realtors that watch, the Harris Rules. Tim and Julie Harris are fantastic, but that's not the best. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Number two. Oh, this stuff was tough already. <laughs> <laughs> non, so non-real estate investing podcasts. And I know you have your own, so you can talk about that as well, but non-real non oh, estate. Do you have a favorite? My brother-in-law has a podcast called Sick Boy Podcast, which some of your listeners might be familiar with. And so I checked that one out. I'm terrible with names, but again, Graham Stephan. Everyone's probably heard of him on YouTube. I like following his uh, podcast. Okay. And what's your podcast? Master Keys Podcast. On Apple's Google Play, all that good stuff. Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Google Play, everywhere you yeah. can find it. YouTube. Okay. Awesome. Number three, what do you guys do for fun aside from work, aside from real estate investing? <laughs> I mean, I really like really good food, man. I would just go to restaurants and drink cocktails. That's my favorite thing, man. That's a sad. I travel to a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I enjoy doing: eating good food. Cocktails. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. that actually sounds amazing <laughs> yeah. number four if you lost everything tomorrow so all of your assets all of your money how would you start again i would find the reit or major property management development company that i liked and i would show up and i'd say start me anywhere because i do feel like 
I can work my way up from there. Nice. I would do online sales. I would find something I could get that's really small. That's how I started. I love sales. If it's a five dollar item, I flip five dollar items until I can do twenty dollar items. Okay. All right. Great answers. Number five, last one. If somebody has fifty thousand dollars and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend fifty grand? I would find the most units that I could get with a seller to take a VTB as generous as possible and try to turn that 50 grand into about $150,000 effectively on a down payment and you know, try to buy a million and change building. Okay. I was gonna say the same answer, but if you don't do that, I like flipping cars, so that was a great way to make money. So if you can put a little bit of, I guess, elbow grease into it, it's a quick way to turn 50 into 100. All right, great answers. That was the lightning round. Thanks for playing. Neil and Chandler, where can my listeners reach out and find out more? Yeah, you can check us out of the Master Keys podcast. We're on Instagram. It's on YouTube. It's on iTunes, Spotify. TikTok. Uh, TikTok. It's all the platforms. Yeah, you can Google us. You can track us down. We're not hard to find. Amazing. Well, thanks guys for hopping on. I am... Uh, I have so much more information about Halifax and, and that part of the country. And I will say anyone listening to this, any questions, reach out to Neil and Chandler. They are the expert feet on the street. And also I think it's very important to have realtors that are investors that can work with investors and understand the investing language and mindset as well. Thanks very much guys for being on. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you wanna be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.